Hello, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I'm your host, James Williams, and today we have a great conversation with Sammy Jacobs, who is the founder and a writer for HoosierHuddle.com. He is also a co-host of the Hoosier Huddle podcast. We sit down and talk to him about Indiana football, the state of the program. We look back at the 2020 season, which was a breakthrough season for Indiana football. We also talk about Michael Penix Jr. We talk about the Big Ten and storylines going on there, the Big Ten East. We talk a lot of stuff about the team looking at this year, looking back at next season. And it's a really good conversation to give you an insight into the Indiana Hoosiers football program. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with Sammy Jacobs. Okay, sorry, that's never done that before with that recording. Maybe that's a new thing. I'll have to edit this out at the beginning. Joining us is Sammy Jacobs. He is a founder and a writer for HoosierHuddle.com. He's also the co-host of the Hoosier Huddle podcast. For people that don't know what a Hoosier is, Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana University, the Big Ten School, or, you know, you could also watch the movie Hoosiers. That's another good indication, Bob Knight. Sammy, I want to start here. Looking back at 2020, it was a crazy year, a very good year for Indiana, where they finally get on the national stage. They have a few great wins to start the season, upset Penn State in overtime. Michael Penix Jr. comes out as a star. Indiana was ranked in the AP Top 10 for the first time since 1969, finished the season ranked in the top 25 for the first time in 19, since 1988. Would you say that 2020 was a successful season for Indiana football, even though Penix Jr. goes down. You don't play in the Big Ten championship game because rules are changed, and you obviously had disappointing bowl loss. Yeah, you just have to look at Indiana's history and say, look, anytime you go six and two, uh, especially in all Big Ten games, it's a successful season. Uh, they knocked off uh, three top twenty-five teams. You mentioned Penn State; they beat Michigan for the first time since 1987 as well. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it really was a butt whooping. Was, I think the final score was 38-21. Yep. Um, and, and they beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin for, since 2001. So it, there was a lot of checks that, you know, boxes they checked. Uh, now, they didn't win a bowl game. They haven't won a bowl game since 1991. Um the Penix was lost for the for the season for the third season in a row uh, with his second ACL injury. He's he's supposed to be back 100 percent. He's been practicing with the team uh, and things like that. They expect him to be the starter at Iowa, uh, barring any setbacks. But it was, you know, and then just with COVID and as you're finally looking forward to Saturdays in the fall in Bloomington and because they went six and two. It was. It gave people something to rally around, uh, and it was. It was as weird of a season as it was. It was a fun season to follow and cover as well. Yeah, too. Big Ten says like August we're not playing. Pac-12 follows, and then eventually public pressure from teams like Nebraska, who was like, "We're going to go and do whatever we want because we're Nebraska." 
and we think we're awesome, even though everyone hates us. Ohio State has this juggernaut team that they think, hey, we're national title contenders. We do not want to waste this opportunity. They put on a lot of public pressure. And basically, you know, you start late October and it's kind of this weird season where, and I don't know how you look at this with some of this stuff, like the Pac-12, I don't know what to do, what, what happened last year. Cause that was like a crazy thing where some teams played, some teams didn't. I don't know if any of those teams were like training before. I know some big 10 teams definitely were training and kind of practicing before. I think some stuff you can take away from it. Like I think the Indiana thing that you guys had last year, I think that was real. And some people might not think that I don't think Penn state was as bad as their record says. And Michigan definitely has a lot of problems, but I don't think they were as bad as their record was. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about the big 10 released the schedule, then canceled, then released another schedule. It was not, it was not handled correctly. Uh, and when we talked to Kevin, Kevin Warren at, at big 10 media day, he said he didn't regret any of the decisions he made. He might've regretted how he communicated them. Um, not Indiana fans are, are going to disagree with that. They, by the rules set forth prior to the season, Indiana should have been the representative from the big 10 East in, in the, uh, in the big 10 title game since Ohio state did not meet the minimum uh, numbers of, uh, of games played. Now um, had Ohio state played Michigan and even if they lost, that would have given them the minimum number of games and still with their head to head win over IU, they would have put in. And I think a lot of weight was put on that. Um, but it's still, it talks to the, hierarchy in, in the conference it's like you're, you're okay here are the rules we started a game here are the rules all of a sudden uh-oh our big dog's not went let's you know he's he's now on free parking we weren't paying free parking with money now that he's down to his last dollar oh yeah let's give him all the money and free parking now so it's it's something that's probably stirring in the bellies of IU's players uh, they know that they kind of got uh jobbed at it at a representing it now ohio state i think deserved to go based on their play on the field uh but they didn't meet the required minimum number of games uh, as far as you know being a flash in the pan indiana this group of players they've gone through so much they came in a lot of them uh, you know were in the 17 or 18 recruiting class they went through their growing pains uh, with two, five, and seven seasons. They played a lot of football, and they return a lot. And I think that was the benefit of COVID is that you get that extra year. And that means guys have played, they've practiced, uh, and things like that. Um, we'll see. I, You know, who knows with Michigan? They've got a lot of issues. They now have – they restructured Harbaugh's deal to where the buyout's not that much – so if they get off to a slow starter, God forbid, lose to Washington in week two, uh, the heat could be turned up on them. And, um, you know, Penn State's got a lot of questions, too. There's questions about how good Sean Clifford is. Uh, but they ended the season on, on a four-game winning streak, and, and they turned it around. And They've got some young guys playing as well. I think if you're a veteran team with a lot of guys coming back, I think 2020, you could look at 2020 and go, okay, we could take something from that. 
Um, if you had a lot of guys opt out, get injured, you know, maybe leave for the draft, maybe you could take 2020 and throw it in the trash. I think it, it is totally team, uh, team dependent on, on how you look at it. Yeah, going to the Ohio State thing, uh, they would have played the proper amount of games, but I feel like just knowing the um, the mindset of like some college kids where the Big Ten did kind of have some strict COVID policies where other schools would have it where like they would just, if somebody tested positive or fit, violated the protocols, they would just have them sit out, like those specific players or coaches sit out. It seemed like in the Big Ten, like I think there's a stretch where Wisconsin – just had a few guys and they really wanted to play, but based off the rules, they couldn't play. So I think that they would have, I feel like the mindset of some of these teams like Michigan, that game got canceled with Ohio state. I assume most of those kids on the Michigan team are like, all right, whatever. I'm going to skip the protocols this week because I know we're just going to get our butts kicked this weekend when we play Ohio state, Indiana also lost to Ohio state head to head. So I do think there was a little bit of, um, legitimacy for them going to the big 10 title game and they did prove. Uh, yeah of course i mean you, you head to head it's the fact that they changed the rules yeah middle of the game which which it draws the ire of iu fans yeah and then but but i think a, a really good thing with indiana you guys took a step in the right direction you were able to get national attention and the fact i did you guys have any games canceled last year for covid yeah, the per, the last game of the season. Yes, but the last was, two, so Purdue oh, and was and that Purdue Champions or you guys? Is both, both, both? Because um, Iowa State, we didn't have any, and I think that speaks to kind of like the culture that like a team has, where you're very focused on like a singular goal, and you're willing to kind of sacrifice. You know, in some cases, like you're a 19, 20 year old kid, you're young. Yeah in shape you're attractive and you're on a college campus with a lot of uh temptations and a lot of distractions and you're able to like keep everything in house and you know stay safe of course and, and even if you did the right thing it's still you know you could still get it you don't yeah. know who was carrying it at that point um you know it seemed to hit iu after the wisconsin game and wisconsin had their own outbreaks and and stuff like that you know on road trips who knows, maybe a hotel staffer had it and was asymptomatic and spread it. Um, you know, I, I'm very hesitant to place blame on anybody, especially a 19-year-old college kid playing yeah, football. Him, yeah. yeah. Um, fast forward to 2021, it's a different story. But, uh, you know, it was once somebody got it, especially pre-vaccine, it, it's going to spread through that locker room like wildfire. And it, and it did through both Purdue and IU, but you look, you know, Purdue season was kind of in the toilet and IU season wasn't. So, you know, it was, it's hard to say, Hey, our team stunk. We're, we're just going to hit the bars up in West Lafayette or, you know, then if IU was so focused, how, how come they got it and things like that. So it, it's hard to point fingers, but it was both, they both wouldn't, have met the minimum number of players and and things like that so i'm interested to see what they do this year in terms of games and covid because uh, obviously covid is still a thing unfortunately are they gonna make teams forfeit like you said if um you know let's say wisconsin has an outbreak but 
Iowa does not? Are they going to award Iowa a conference win? The Pac-12 is. You know, are you going to incentivize it a little bit for for players to to be responsible to to get vaccinated and things like that? Now, IU the school is requiring all the students to get vaccinated. So, you know, the assumption is IU football should be 100%. I think at Big Ten Media Day, they said they were 91%. Um, so they should hit that 100% mark. But, you know, what if your school, I think forfeiture, I, it's going to be really interesting what they do, you know, re, regarding games and COVID protocols and, and forfeitures and how it's going to affect the playoff game too. Because if you went to forfeits last year, Ohio State would have forfeited a couple games too because of the COVID protocols. It'll be interesting to see what they do for that. It's going to vary conference to conference. You also mentioned there a little bit Penn State and Michigan. Those seem like a few fan bases and teams that have panicked a little bit because I was doing some research on them, just looking at kind of the Big Ten East, looking at the landscape there. Penn State's on their third offensive coordinator in three years. They've, they've shuffled through that position a little bit. So I don't think that's going to be necessarily the best thing for them right now, unless they really hit a home run on that hire. I know Harbaugh in Michigan, they have shuffled coaches in and out of there through yep. his tenure there. They wiped out the entire defensive staff and they just brought in a bunch of young guys. So looking forward to them this year, I don't know what's going to happen. This is, a, like you said, there's a very, they restructured his contract to pretty much make it basically to make his contract, you perform or we're going to be able to kick you out. We're not going to have that much of a, 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 a financial hit. So it'll be very interesting to see there. They really, I don't believe in either of their quarterbacks, maybe Clifford for Penn state in year five, will finally have some stuff going for him. You also have to factor in um, and Michigan doesn't know who their court. Well, they kind of do. It's Cade McNamara, but they also have like a truer redshirt freshman who was a five-star I forgot his name off the top of my head, but it'll be really interesting yeah. to see there. But Indiana is probably one of the most, if you're just talking about from this year to last year, they're probably one of the more stable teams in the Big Ten, if not, or the Big Ten East, if not the entire Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. you go you go to Penn State, Michigan first with the coaching staffs. It, it seems like, you know, Ohio State, State was there for taking a couple of times. You know, you had Jim Harbaugh went in there, I think it was 2016, when you had the, the fourth down spot. Um, and if it, it was Mark Short or, or not, and, you know, they could have beaten him there. And, and since that game, it, it hasn't, that series has not even, that it's not been close for a decade. But on the field, points-wise, it hasn't been close either. Um, you know, so has that window of opportunity uh, for them to catch Ohio State closed. You look at Penn State, they had a couple opportunities with Saquon Barkley to beat Ohio State, and they blew leads late in the game, uh, and Ohio State came back. So I think there's a lot of frustration among those fan bases with those coaches because you look at you know, Penn State should out-talent a lot of people, everybody but Ohio State in the Big Ten, uh, and the same with Michigan. And for whatever reason, those teams are closer to the, to the rest of the pack um, than they are to to Ohio State. So th I totally understand their frustration. And, you know, James Franklin has flirted. It seems like he's flirted with other jobs, with USC and things like that. And they, they, this, these passionate fan bases know 
when you have one foot out the door because you know they have their ear to the ground and they're on all these message boards and, and things like that so it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how fast um you know either they get behind their team or or how uh, how fast they turn on their team yeah going back to the big 10 east i actually think this is one of the best like divisions in college football you could probably make the argument is the best division in college football better than either of the sec divisions because those are actually kind of you look at them a little bit more split up and i can make the case that like like you've ohio state who's obviously ohio state indiana is a team on the rise you know finished 12th last year in the ap maryland recruits really well yeah but they don't perform well they don't perform well but they still recruit pretty well i think that's it's it's something so they're mississippi and- state <laughs> they're like Mississippi State of the SEC, or Miss. You know, they're they're one of those teams. You know, Maryland. Everybody they talk about recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. And then they go on the field and they go like two and nine. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to the the on the field coaching that's going on as well because they do have a lot of talent. Um, but you're right. You know, you look at the top seed. You know, Ohio State and Alabama. You could say are on that elite level, um, and then. You know, it depends how how long does it take Auburn to, to get their feet under Brian Harson? How long does it take LSU to come back? Uh, but those you think are on the same level as a Michigan and Penn State. Uh, and then you go, uh, who else is there? You have Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Texas A&M. Um, and Texas A&M. Uh, you know, the Texas A&M might be the one that tips the balances in, in favor of the SEC West because they're, they're equal in the, the Big Ten East. It, could, it used to be Michigan State. You could throw Michigan State into those top four too. And then, you, okay, you're pretty even um, and you can match up teams like that. But yeah, the Big Ten East is a beast. And Urban Meyer coming to Ohio State and the way he recruited and bring that SEC, you know, recruiting philosophy, change the game for the Big Ten. And then everybody else followed suit. The coaches in the Big Ten are really, really good. Well, we're talking about the Big Ten today, so it's okay. We'll bash the SEC, even if it can be a little bit unfair. Alabama, obviously, Texas A&M, Auburn. I don't, I don't, I like, I think they kind of downgraded with their coach. I'd rather have Gus Malzahn as my coach than the the guy they got from Boise state LSU. Yeah. Again, it's like Penn state and Michigan. You just, you know, their window, he had beaten Alabama a couple of times. He won the national title and all that stuff, but whatever it was, they were impatient and, and we'll see UCF got a, a heck of a higher amount on. Um, they came out the real winners. Yeah. That, that was kind of like a weird shuffle too. And then Tennessee hires uh, the US, UCF coach, which is how that that job got open for Malzahn. And Malzahn's probably a better coach than that guy. Yeah, so. it's it's going to be interesting to watch all these new hires in new places. Yeah, and with the way the college football playoff works, he's actually going to have a better chance of going to the playoff at UCF than he would at Auburn or Tennessee. So that'll be really interesting to see there. But going back to the Big Ten East, said Maryland recruits well, Penn State, Michigan always recruit well, uh, top 10, 15 programs when right. Michigan State kind of down right now, but D'Antoni or D'Antonio did take them to the playoff at one point, was a very big contender when he was there. 
And then Rutgers with Shiano, for whatever reason, there were two teams last year that I saw that had new coaching hires that just looked completely different than the year before. Like it looked like whatever strength program they did, whatever they started feeding them, they all got bigger and they just looked more organized as a team. And it was Ole Miss when they got Lane Kiffin and it was Rutgers when they got Shiano. They looked like a very decent team last year. They win three games. I don't know if they had won three games the previous two or three years combined. And if you actually look at recruiting now, they're actually getting recruits now which is kind of weird with how horrible Rutgers was since he left in like 2010 or 2011. So like, I actually think that's a very, very tough division. Then you go to the big 10 West where every team is confused. They have some weakness. They have coaches. They don't like, they have quarterbacks. They don't like some of them have clogged toilet offenses like Iowa, you know, Ference is kind of getting close to the end there. Uh, Northwestern Pat Fitzgerald is usually pretty consistent, but not necessarily a big contender. Wisconsin, if they get that quarterback position right, that's kind of the key for them. If they get that position right, they have the line. I think they can be okay on the outside with their weapons. They always have pretty good running backs. Defense is always good. Minnesota, P.J. Fleck is running a colt there. Grown men are running around with, with uh, rowboat paddles. They're trying to row the boat on the streets of Minnesota or Minneapolis, Nebraska, Nebraska thinks they're back, but they're not. Scott they're Frost is probably going to be fired this year. Purdue, Purdue is just kind of, they have spiraled down and they might be the worst team in the conference. And they're competing with Illinois for that position. I had this written down. If Indiana was in the big 10 West, where would they rank? Oh boy. Um, How about just for this year? I mean, they've gone four and zero against the West in the last two years, right? Something like that. They've, I think you you put them right at the top, and you're near the top with you know Wisconsin, Iowa. Um, they beat Nebraska. They beat Northwestern. They beat Wisconsin last year. They beat Purdue. Uh, they they beat Illinois. Uh, that game got canceled last year. Uh, you know, uh, they haven't played Iowa since like 2017 or 2018. I, yeah, you yeah, got to put them. They're, they're 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 a contender for the West title. Of like a, 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 they, I wouldn't call them a favorite. It depends on the schedule if you who you draw at home. Um, but yeah, they they've got to be you know in the top three in the West. Definitely. I, I definitely think that. I think this year you could make the case for number one if you're just talking about yeah. a program in general. It's basically what you think of the other ones where Wisconsin would probably be number one. Iowa would probably not be number two. But then, I mean, you're right there. And it's just, it's just, it would just be an easier path compared to Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, where you just know every game they're just going to have they're, they're going to be able to throw more money at the, any coach that they have and they're just going to have more talent which kind of sucks but tom allen has kind of really done a good job here he's really built this thing up he was brought in in 2016 to clean up the defense he cleaned it up made them 
a much improved defense for the one season he's defensive coordinator. Kevin Wilson, some allegations come out of him mistreating players. I don't know if I'd go as far to say abusing players, but kind of some nasty stuff he was doing. Maybe wasn't being that good of a guy. All of a sudden, your defensive coordinator who has been there for one season gets elevated to be the head coach. So take me back to 2016 when Allen is announced as the new head coach of Indiana football. What are your reactions? So um, I believe it was December 1st. So I had just beaten Purdue. They're going to their second straight bowl game. Um, all of a sudden, I, I get a call from um, another writer, uh, Matt Weaver, Peaks.com. And he goes, Wilson's out. Um, you got to get down to Bloomington. There's a press conference. I go, what are you talking about? And he said, Wilson's done. They're, they're firing him. Um, he ended up resigning or whatever. So I texted a buddy who's a manager on the team to confirm. I said, what's going on? He said, yeah, they just told us Wilson's out. So we go down to the press conference. Um, you know, Jerry DiNardo from Big Ten Network calls me, said, what, hey, what's going on in Bloomington? I tell him what's going on. Um, you know, the allegations were – I wouldn't say he was abusing players, but he was treating them poorly. And it was that style of coaching. If you're going six and six, you're not staying around long. Um, and I think it's a style of coaching that's becoming extinct. And it's as, as an educator myself, I'd like to see – that's something i like to, to see progress. And so, you know, at the press conference, they named Allen the head coach. Um, the, they did not do a national search. And, and for the says – we're going to be demanding without being demeaning, which is fantastic. That explains exactly what the philosophical differences between Fred Glass and Kevin Wilson were. My reaction to the whole thing, you know, your head's spinning. You have no idea what's going on. Um, you know, my first reaction, I when Tom Allen was hired as a defensive coordinator, you thought, okay, when Kevin Wilson left IU, this is the perfect guy to step in. Um, his career track took him to the next step was to be a head coach. Um, that next step started a few years uh, before, uh, before that happened. So um, I, I was hesitant. I, like, I didn't dislike the hire. I disliked how they went about it without a, a national search. But, hey, looking back at it, when you know, you know. If you knew this guy, you, you hired him to be a defensive coordinator – and give Kevin Wilson credit for that. He had met, I believe he met Tom Allen on a flight back from a coaching conference and said, went back to Fred Glass and said, hey, we need to hire this guy as the defensive coordinator. Um, and he came in, he changed the culture of the defense. And then when he became head coach, they lost a heartbreaker in the Foster Farms Bowl to, to Utah. Um, and then they go five and seven and five and seven. And he had these mantras. His mantra was LEO, which is love each other. And if there are any people who have watched Ted Lasso out there, um, Andy Staples said that Tom Allen is Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is Tom Allen. He is unapologetically himself. And I have one friend, he's an Ohio State grad and an Ohio State fan, hates Tom Allen. He just hates his energy. I was like, dude, this is the guy you that had, this is how you have to be to uh, 
to be at India. You've got to be all in. And it reminded everybody of Coach Hep, who uh, took over the India job in 2005 and tragically passed away in 2007. So this is like the second coming of Coach Hep. He's a guy who wants to be at Indiana. He's a guy who wants to, uh, you know, it's not a stepping stone job for him. This is like his dream job. So it was, per- it was I think it's a perfect fit. Um, a lot of the fan base after the two, five and seven seasons were like enough of all these sayings, enough of the one word stuff. We got to win some games. So it all finally clicked in 2019. Um, I go back to their game against Maryland um, in 2019. It was a game. Uh, Penix got hurt. Peyton Ramsey comes in in relief, uh, gets them back in the game, takes the lead. Defense comes up with two huge takeaways. And this is two years after a total disaster, probably the worst game in Tom Allen's tenure at IU was 2017 at Maryland. They had a big lead. They let Maryland get back in the game with a punt block, with a big return and things like that. And they lost. And they end up going five and seven instead of six and six and going to their third straight bowl game. So the whole Tom Allen, um, he has turned a lot of fans in his favor by winning. Uh, it turned out to be a great choice uh, by by Fred Glass. It, it was a great choice anyway. I just thought it was a few years early because uh, I, I remember sitting down with with our writers and saying, Tom Allen seems like the guy who's going to take over after Kevin Wilson. Um, so and he's he's just he's such an infectious personality. And if you've seen the videos on Twitter from their win over Penn State. Uh, from the win over Michigan, his players love him. Even the loss against Ohio State, uh, you know, he said there, there's no other team he'd rather be coaching than these guys. And so it, it's it's been a crazy ride. They finally give him, uh, you know, a pay raise to $4.9 million a year. So now, you know, I use taking off of the, the financial handcuffs a little bit. It's a good contract. It, and, and it's, it's – yeah, it is a it's almost it's basically a lifetime contract. It's he gets an extra year for every bowl game he qualifies for. It's essentially a lifetime contract if you if you perform well. Um, it's a fantastic contract. So that's that's the Tom Allen story. Um, he's he's a fantastic interview. His energy is just amazing, and um, you know it, I, I get why you know maybe he's not for some people, but it was a drastic change from Kevin Wilson to Tom Allen. Definitely a culture change. I got this little snippet out of a Hoosier huddle article. Actually, I think you wrote it at the time. Cause I wanted to look up, I try to look up what was the reaction when somebody gets hired just to see how it looks now. Cause sometimes there's a little bit of dismissive dismissiveness and you yeah. go back and read it and you're just like, Oh my gosh. But I think this is, um, you either paraphrase this here from, from the athletic director. He's a leader of men. He's demanding without being demeaning. He is a proven successful coach on a national scale with deep Indiana ties. He cares about his players and they care back. Allen was instrumental in the turnaround of the Hoosiers defense and earned a nomination for the 2016 Burles Award for the nation's top assistant coach. And you said there too about I'm really glad you said that about like you saw one game, the Maryland game, where it just all clicked, where everything clicked. Cause I saw that too 
with Iowa State with Matt Campbell. And I think I mentioned this on here where it was a game his first season against Texas Tech. And this is Texas Tech with Cliff Kingsbury and Patrick Mahomes. And this is before we knew he was like maybe the greatest, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, Patrick Mahomes. We just knew eh, this guy is going to be like a first round pick. He likes to chuck it a lot, big arm. But Iowa State comes out with this like game plan that I've never seen them run before, where they have all these different blitz packages. They're confusing the crap out of them. They're, they're hitting Mahomes all day and they end up beating them. And this is an Iowa State team that went three and nine. They end up beating Texas Tech like 63 to 10 or something. And the thing I noticed was sitting there at the game, it was like you saw them come out for halftime and it was like the enjoyment in their body language of going out for halftime where you saw them like, they were like, yeah, let's go. We are ready to do this. Like you just saw it where it clicked, where they all bought in. We're like, this is what all this hard work paid off for. And Alan and guys like Alan and Matt Campbell and guys kind of that nature where you have to succeed at Indiana, you have to overachieve with lesser talent. I don't, I was looking through the recruiting just the last few years. I don't know uh, if there was a year where Indiana had a top 10 recruiting class in the big 10 so that's basically like down at the bottom with yeah, they, i think they were eighth one year yeah they might nine. have been eighth um but it's i think they're sitting at fifth right now the last time i checked they were sitting at fifth uh and recruiting's really starting to turn around uh and i think they're in the top 20 now and it, you're now you're stacking classes back to back to back and and you're bringing guys who you, they're talented guys who usually when Indiana brings in a four-star player, they're going to start right away. Now there's not that much pressure on him to throw him into the fire. You can wait and develop him and let him beat out an incumbent player for that job, which pushes the guy who was a, a, the starter beforehand to do that. It also lets you, you know, put on weight to play at the Big Ten level, develop those skills. Um, you know, there, there are two four-star players that, that I use recruiting the last three years that haven't seen the field that much. And Cameron Williams, a linebacker out of Merrillville, and Bo Robbins, a defensive end um, out of Carmel High School. Ten years ago, those guys would have been day one starters. And that's all you, that's all you need to know about Indiana recruiting. Day one, ten years ago, those guys would have been penciled in as starters. Now, um, they're sitting behind productive guys, uh, learning the system, developing and, and waiting their time. And they're going to be hungry when they get on the field. And when he came in and actually his name, the head coach, I feel like there are a lot of ways when you kind of almost kind of have a, not really a scandal, but some stuff kind of, it could have went really badly in a lot of ways, just hiring a guy that's only been there for one year. Like it could have been something where something's not going right early on and then you fire him and then, you know, we're sitting here now and basically they're like the, they're like the Purdue of the East basically, or the Illinois of the East of that division. So, but yeah. It's a good thing because Indiana football flies under the radar of IU basketball and that might be changing a little bit, um, since I used to become more successful, there was a loud minority of people who did not like the hire 
who would get on the message boards after games like the loss at Maryland or losing to Iowa uh, by a big margin and things like that and say, why we, we hired a high school coach uh, as our head coach and things like that. Those people have disappeared. Um, <laughs> they have not been heard from since, uh, since 2019. Um, so it, it's, you're right. Patience was the key. And I think what helped with it is that Indiana football flew under the radar of Indiana basketball. And you're still, you were going through at that time. You had the Tom Crean era came to an end and you had the Archie Miller era never got off the ground. <laughs> so it was, um, you know, basically you had a four or five year window to, you know, to grow. And, and he's done that tremendously. That was a really good point there too, about the, the culture of the school and the athletic program and the fans with Indiana basketball being like, Indiana is not just a basketball school. It's a basketball state. Basketball yes, is trained, like, like I mentioned at the top Hoosiers, obviously that it's a basketball school, a basketball state. And you had Tom Crean, who's, very, seems like an incredibly nice guy, a, a little weird, maybe sometimes if you catch him at the wrong moment, he seems like he kind of likes to boast about his like top recruits a lot. Then you have Archie Miller that just, he had like a good little run there at Dayton, but I actually think you're bad. I think you made a good hire. It seems like right now with, uh, uh, coach Woodson. Yeah. With coach Woodson was, uh, let's transition to basketball here just for a second. Was yeah. Brad Stevens like a realistic option? Do you think? No, no, um, no. I don't. I think they knew that his move to the front office is coming. Mm. Um, Brad Stevens and the Celtics that because it came right after the season. Um, yeah, and he was he dismissed those. I think it was more real that Brad Stevens would come to IU than back when um, when Crean was hired. Uh, or whenever those rumors started, but I, the chances maybe five percent. I mean, you'd, you'd never say never, but I don't think it was not, not realistic. I think they they got a guy who fits the culture. Um, he's a former night player. He was like all Big Ten. He was a awesome, awesome basketball player. Yeah, um, yeah. If you, he, he was. He turned around, helped turn around the Knicks. He won a division title with the New York Knicks. And I'm a Knicks fan. I'm from New York. Anytime you've won a division title with the Knicks since like 1999, you're a heck of a coach. And, you know, being an assistant with the Knicks, uh, he turned that offense around as well. So, you know, it, it, it was an outside of the box hire, but so was Tom Allen. And it's worked. Um, and we'll see, uh, we'll see how it works with, with coach Woodson. He's gotten guys to come back. Uh, basically that entire team was in the transfer portal. He's added some impact transfers, um, from other schools. So, you know, the bottom line, just make the tournament. Um, that's the expectations that, um, you know, I have for, for IU basketball and the, the fan realistic fans should have too. They're not, Anytime an NCAA basketball fan says, oh, yeah, my expectations are to make the final four, I laugh at them. You can never – look, you're going to play Northern Kentucky State A&M, and they're going to have some 5'7 dude come off the bench 
and go nine from 10 from downtown. And you're, you're on the bus, go home going, what in the world just happened? Somebody's going to play the game of their lives. And it's just, yeah, I was at that game against Dayton. Um, but you, uh, you just can't predict that. So get to the tournament, maybe win a game or two and see where you go from there. Um, but continue building that foundation and, and repair the fan base. And, you know, that, basketball's king in Indiana. I, I'm originally from New York. I'm more of a, a college football fan than basketball fan. Uh, but it's it's king. It's king in Indiana. It's it's king, queen, jack, you know, whatever. It's every card in the deck in Indiana. Um, so it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting season with, with Coach Woodson. Transitioning back to football here, what is or was Nine Windiana? So Nine Windiana was it, it was from Home Field, the T-shirt company, uh, and I think it was the guy who ran their SB Nation page too. They just said Nine Nine Wind. So Michael Penix's number is nine, and Michael Penix has been hyped up since he's been on campus. And so half of that was that, was nine Windiana. Turned into nine wins. They almost got it in 2019 uh, with the win over, you know, in the bowl game against Tennessee. If they would have won that, that was the year the T-shirt dropped and you would have had nine Windiana and it would have been the greatest marketing thing in the history of college football. Um, That's a little... But it was... To predict that Indiana would get nine wins, put it on a T-shirt, and it happens, unbelievable. It was almost unbelievable, but it turned out to be eight wins in Indiana. But it was like, I guess it was half a joke that the expectations would be, hey, let's have nine wins. It's never happened. It's like happened once. Indiana's won nine games one time. I was reading about that, too, because my friend – uh he has some family that is from Indiana and he was joking about it with me that year. And I was really rooting for it too. I kind of got behind it and I was thinking, I'm like, are you making this up? Cause he's kind of a funny guy with some of that stuff. But then I was looking up some of the stuff today and I was reading about it and everyone was like, this is absurd. There's no way in heck that they are going to win nine games. And I was just reading about it. And they were like, some guy like was going through all the scenarios that would have to happen. They're yeah. like, have to win this game, this game. They're going to have to sweep this, uh, the stretch of like Northwestern, Maryland, uh, Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. And, and I was looking, I'm like, they almost got it. <laughs> but they were an onside kick away or an extra point away from it. It would have been um, the ultimate call your shot. Uh, in, in t-shirt, uh, probably in t-shirt history. In your opinion, let's talk about some broad Big Ten stuff. In your opinion, who is the most annoying Big Ten school? This is probably the only conference where there are about nine acceptable answers that I would believe. Most annoying? Oh, boy. Maybe you could say annoying fan base, irritating. I know there's a lot of options. There are a lot of options. The obvious one is Ohio State. That's the obvious one. Um, Michigan's not great either. Purdue, but that's not like the, the casual Big Ten. Yeah, the casual Big Ten fan doesn't care about Purdue. 
might have to say Nebraska. It, it's getting ridiculous. And I can't, and I hope, I hope they break out the little red jerseys against Oklahoma and lose by 50. Um, because that, look, I, I don't know what they look like, but they they rival the 1970s White Sox shorts uniforms as the worst uniforms in the history of sports. Um, I, I think it's, uh, look, Nebraska fans are very, very passionate. Awful. It, it, it looks like a gymnastics, uh, like unitard, uh, which is fine for gymnastics because it's an actual like unitard. It's an all-white uniform that they said, hey, we're, we'll let's have put an all-white uniform, but let's the put a wrestling singlet on over it. That's what Exactly. Exactly. Um, they're very, very passionate fan bases. Uh, when I went out to the IU-Nebraska game a couple years ago, it was the atmosphere was awesome. Um, they were loud. It's probably, in my experience, the loudest Big Ten stadium that I've been at a game at. Uh even though Nebraska had lost, they were, I think, four and three at the time or, or something like that. And it was just, I don't know, it was cool. Uh, but their fan base is annoying. They think they're better, they think they're better and they think they're entitled uh, to success. Going into that game in 2019, Scott Frost said, oh, I wish I would play Indiana more. Well, that went up on the bulletin board in Tom Allen's uh, locker room. Um, and I get it. Look, coming from the Big Ten East, there's no sympathy for, for, for you guys in the West because you have to play Ohio State, you know, three times in six years. Uh, I used to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State every year. And Rutgers is on the way up. Now they have to play Rutgers every year. Uh, and Maryland, as you said, recruits very well. Um, it's the just the arrogance from from Nebraska. It's not what they used to be, and they don't. I don't think they carry the cachet, cachet uh, that they used to. Now, are there some awesome Nebraska fans? Yeah, and they're fun to talk college football with, and they're passionate. But the fan base, as a general, I would probably put as the most annoying. The annoying ones usually are the loudest. Yeah. They haven't made a bowl game since 2016. Foster Farms Bowl. No. Music City. Yep, Music City Bowl. City. They won the Foster Farms Bowl the year before. I don't like Nebraska. They were – obviously, it was a little bit – when I was a little bit younger, they would come in, and I it was when they were at the peak of their powers with Osborne. And they'd come in when Iowa State was at the rock bottom and they would run up the score and they yeah. didn't care and they sucked. And it was kind of like good riddance when they left. They're just, no one wants them. And it's amazing too that they come in and they just immediately become like the most hated. Where you have Rutgers that came in. Um, Nobody cares. I personally don't like Iowa the most. Michigan's kind of has a little bit of that complex too that Nebraska has a few of those schools have that like like Texas has that complex a little bit Texas Tennessee Michigan IU basketball and Nebraska are they're all the same they were awesome in the 80s and early 90s 
and now they're not doing so hot, but they still think it's the it's still the 80s. But no one remembers that. All these players that are coming up now were born this century. Yeah. So no one even knows that. They just know them as like these guys that are like annoying that that think they're awesome. Yep. I like to do a little bit of a segment on here where we talk about our rivals and we talk about what we don't like about them. I'm finally giving this segment a name. It's called Bash the Rival. So I'll give you about 60 seconds, a minute or two, just to, you know, talk about Purdue, maybe some things you don't like about them, some things that grind your gears, just, just unleash. Everything? Is that the answer? Everything <laughs> from their brick buildings to their location in the state of Indiana? Um, my wife and I were at a game uh, like in 2008 and they're – we sat next to a Purdue fan and he was just being an obnoxious jerk. And she turned around. She doesn't, she does not get confrontational all that much, but she turned around to him and said, you're just jealous. You didn't get into IU. And he did not say a word the rest of the game. Um, I it's, it's, it's an unreasonable dislike bordering hatred of Purdue. Their stadium is, it's just always, maybe it's because I go up there in November. It's always gross and bleak and cold. They have brick buildings as opposed to limestone at IU. Their fan base always chants IU sucks, even if they're playing, you know, tumbleweed tech and football and basketball and stuff like that. Um, but it's a fun rivalry. That's what it is. You know, I appreciate Purdue because they're a fun rivalry, but it's everything. It's we went to the, they, they they advertised that they had a moon rock. It's a pebble. Their their world's largest drum is the fourth world's largest drum. Everything about Purdue annoys me. Is it more of a football or a basketball thing or both? I, it's more of a basketball rivalry, uh, just because it is so lopsided. It was so lopsided in football for a long time. Um, and, you know, now, you know, the last couple of years, Indiana has been better. And it's you never really had both teams good at the same time. And I think that's hurt the the football rivalry, the basketball rivalry. You've had you had um, Bob Knight and Gene Cady going at each other. You know, Matt Painter has been there for a long time. Um, it, you know, that rivalry has developed. It's been close. Um you know, they've had some classic games as well. It's been back and forth. Both teams have made runs uh, and, and things like that. So it's I, it's a fun rivalry to be a part of. But everything about that school annoys me. It seems like in football, a lot of close games, at least in the re the recent few years, most of them going IU's way. You didn't play each other last year, obviously, because of COVID. But yeah, I've kind of heard about that a little bit from just uh, some Indiana stuff, some Purdue stuff. A little bit of an animosity there. You have the state school, and then is Purdue private or are they a state? School? No, it's a state school too. Um, it's I think it's a land grant school. Um, I do think that uh, is fine, but that's what it is. Yeah, I do think they have like an awesome golf course there on their campus. Indiana has a new golf course on their campus. Ooh, Ooh so another reason, to, another reason why yeah. Indiana is better. Yep. Does do you guys have any other rivalries in the conference, or is Purdue the only one? 
You have the old brass platoon with Michigan State, which I wrote one of the first articles I wrote for for Hoosier Huddle was, you know, the, the unknown rivalry of Michigan State and Indiana. And probably the only reason people know it's a trophy game is from the old NCAA football games. Like not even the, the most recent one in 2014, because that trophy didn't even show up. Like but that, in that. like 2006, the, the old brass platoon game and stuff like that. So um, if they played more often, IU and Illinois have a rivalry. Uh, and, um, you know, so th- there's it's proximity too. Uh, so things like that. I wish IU and Illinois would play more in football because that I think that rivalry. It's I think a two-hour drive from each school, so it's not it's it's not far. They're evenly matched. I, I would say evenly matched teams historically over the last twenty years, uh, and and things like that. So you know, they, get rid of divisions. Let's get Illinois and Indiana play a little bit more. That'd be awesome too. And it's pretty cool that even though Purdue and Indiana aren't in the same division, you guys still play each other every year. I like, I like how that's. It's um, the only protected rivalry in the big 10. Wow. It's also, that's one thing I'm a little jealous of with some of the sec schools and especially, I think it's definitely more in the big 10, even though the sec would argue probably more in theirs where, where I, I was thinking about this, like, like just Iowa, the school that's close to me, they have like four trophy games a year. Like they, they got yeah. Nebraska, they got a thing with, they got Minnesota, they got a thing with Wisconsin. They have a thing with and They even have a thing with Iowa state. Yeah. So that, that's something that that conference, like, and, and also too, the big 12 is all kind of screwed up because a bunch of teams left and now more teams are even going to left leave. And who knows what's the future of that is. And that just makes me depressed thinking about it, but that that's a really cool thing that you're able to have that. And, uh, you just have that little bit of hatred every year. Too bad you lost that thing with Kentucky a little bit, but re- really, really nice to see. I'm going to be watching that game this year. Where, where is it this year? It's at Purdue, right? Yeah, it's up at Purdue this year. The last game of the season. Correct. I think I saw it the last one. Wasn't that a game where it was like kind of rainy and wet? It was cold and miserable and awful. It went into double overtime. Like I control most of the game. Went in double overtime. Uh, Purdue made a great comeback, and then IU scored the the touchdown and went 44-41 um, to cap off an eight win, you know, an eight win regular season and, and a, a winning Big Ten record uh, as well for the first time in forever. So it, it it was a pretty it was a miserable miserable day, but it was a fun game. Awesome. All right, Sammy, I really appreciate you doing this. Do you want to? basically tell everyone where uh where people can get all the latest indiana information for you and find the stuff that you're putting out of course uh you can visit us at hoosierhuddle.com follow us on twitter at hoosier underscore huddle uh, we have a facebook page as well you just search hoosier huddle on on facebook um we have our podcast it drops weekly we'll have our pregame shows uh postgame shows and all that stuff but we have everything for fall camp coming up we're going to get into our iowa preview here in the next couple weeks Uh, so come back visit and uh you know enjoy the content we put out all right thanks man all right thank you all right that's going to do it for the podcast today as always go rate review subscribe follow the podcast at jws detective on twitter and instagram make sure if you want 
any information on Indiana football throughout the season, or I guess they probably do other anything Indiana, make sure you always check out HoosierHuddle.com to get all the stuff that Sammy and his team over there are putting out. And as always, guys, I will see you next time.